Welcome to Brett. Moses is one of the most famous, beloved, complicated, and fascinating characters in the Bible. God chooses him and uses him to do extraordinary and history-defining things. He's a flawed and broken person, but nevertheless a truly great leader. In this series, we draw on his example to learn what real leadership looks like in God's kingdom and how all of us, however we view ourselves, can grow not just in our leadership, but more importantly, in our faith and maturity as God's disciples. Um, this morning we're very pleased to have uh, Bill Dogtrum with us. Bill is a professor of uh, spiritual formation and pastoral ministries, is that right? At Vanguard University down in the wastelands of Orange County. Um, <laughs> And uh, Bill's also uh, on staff as a um, teaching pastor in, uh, at the Garden Church, and that's actually where we first met Bill many moons ago. Um, Hannah and I had this um, strange idea that was from God, I think, uh, to plant a church here in Los Angeles. We lived in London, and uh, we were friends with uh, the Garden, Darren and Alex there, and they also wanted to plant churches, and they said, um, well, why don't you come and uh, do a thing in LA, see if anyone's interested, and then come and um, talk to the church on the Sunday afterwards. And so we did this. This was back in 2015, 2015. And after the service on the Sunday, we met um, with uh, the leadership there at um, the garden, and one of those people in the room was Bill. And Bill uh, was nothing but incredibly warm and incredibly encouraging. Uh, and he has remained that to Hannah and me um, through the years. Uh, in the difficult times of COVID and beyond, uh, we have um, regularly had uh, Zoom chats where we basically tell him all our problems, and he's very nice. Uh, and then says, get over it. Uh, <laughs> no, he's, he's been an incredible support to us, um, and we're really grateful to have you with us, Bill. So um, thank you very much. Would you give Bill a huge welcome? Well, good morning. You guys are just like my classes. You got to come early to get a back seat. Uh, that's all right. They made the mistake of giving me a microphone that can wander. And I know where you are. It is so good to be um, here in person. I've been stalking you for a few years uh, and keeping in track with uh, Hannah and Ed, of course, and the girls. And it has been uh, wonderful to see uh, what God is doing and to be able to come up and be part of this conversation on leadership lessons that we're learning from Moses um, is, is really, really significant. Um, uh, and as you already have figured out, um, it, this, this pass the passages of Scripture we look at, the book of Exodus, is, is not just so that we know what happened at a time in history. It, it functions... If I can use this term almost mythologically, that is to say it's a defining story so that we not only learn what happened, but we learn why, and we get a sense of the broader why beyond the event itself, that God is not just interested in telling us the story of these desert nomadic people so that we can know their story. Uh, but so that they can know their story, obviously this is why it was told in the first place, so that they can be 
who God has created them to be. Remember that God is looking for women and men that he can trust to empower them to do whatever they want. We spend a lot of time worrying about whether we can trust God. Anybody anxious about that? Oh, this is not a hand-raising congregation. Oh, that's fine. No, that's fine. That's fine. I can translate. We should probably just write this down someplace so we don't forget it. You can trust God. If you trust gravity, you can trust God who made gravity. The question is not whether we can trust God. The question is whether God can trust us. Whether he can, can fill us with his spirit. And the last part of that line is so that we can do whatever we want requires some changing in our wanter. We need to, we be, need to be trained into alignment with the character and love and goodness of God so that he can increasingly empower us to partner with him in his mission in the world. And that's what the story is about. How do we, how do we become the kinds of people that God can trust alone in the dark? Some of us have been in the dark for a while. Does that sound familiar? And, and, and it's like, where's God? He's right with you. Why is he silent? What would he say that would not undermine what he's doing? Which is to train us, to train perhaps you, to be a calm and non-anxious presence when all of the things around you are vibrating at high frequency so that you can be a sign of his presence to somebody else. He's so close to you in those moments of darkness that yours are the eyes through which he looks. Yours is the heart that beats with his love for your world. That's why you can't see him independent of you. He's that close. Scripture says he's closer than the air that we breathe. So how do we learn to be those kinds of people? And of course, this passage of Scripture is one of those that invites us into that, into that conversation. You know the story. The people of Israel have been deposited into Egypt as a family of uh, refugees and are um, allowed to, to, to gestate, to grow there in the womb, if you will, of Egypt for 400 years until finally, like happens in all wombs and with all births, the discomfort begins to outweigh the comfort of, of their place. And so they are, are expelled, they are, are, are pushed out of Egypt through the waters of the Red Sea. And that's where we are in our passage, in our conversation this morning. And, and one of the leadership lessons that has to be learned along the way is, when is it time to sit still? And when is it time to move? When is it time for contemplation and prayer as stillness? And when is it time for, for action and prayer as movement? Remember, I'm using prayer in both senses. Prayer can be contemplative. It can be sitting and soaking. Uh, but prayer can also be boots on the ground, it's time to march. 
And we need to learn, don't we, not to do one or the other. We need to learn how to do both and let them be in conversation with one another. We live in not the balance between the two, but in the tension between the two. We strive so much for balance. Balance is almost impossible to maintain. Imagine yourself on a bicycle, not moving, trying to maintain balance. You know how hard it is. But as the second you begin to pedal, balance is maintained. That's the difference between tension and balance. We, we negotiate the tension between action and con contemplation, between prayer as, as behavior and prayer as stillness. And we live in that, in that tension, that creative tension that has plenty of room, doesn't it, for God to do what God is going to do, and plenty of room for God to say, what are you going to do? You'll notice in this story that God could have delivered Israel all by himself with one hand tied behind his back. But he doesn't. He sends Moses, a failed leader, a failed deliverer, who has experienced uh, an encounter with God. He's uh, met that burning bush moment, you know? And, and I was thinking about that the other day. You have to stay still long enough to notice that the bush is burning and not being consumed. Have you notice that? You, you, that's not a quick glance and moving on. That's a 20-minute sitting still and before you start to notice, oh, that sucker's not burning. It's on fire, but it's not burning. Part of our struggle, isn't it, is that we're moving so fast we can't even notice the bushes that are burning without being consumed. You, you got to be where you are in order to notice that. And of course, being where you are is the hardest place you'll ever be. We are distracted, nostalgia, regret, anybody distracted by those things? Or worry, or anticipation, or just pretty things that pull us out of the moment, pull us out of the presence. The only problem with that, of course, is that the only place you'll ever meet God is where you are. And if you're not there, you miss him. You miss him, which is why the enemy's primary strategy formed against us in the 21st century is relentless distraction. I say this as a college professor of 18-year-olds. Eight seconds, I got eight seconds before I have to switch the <sighs> And it gets so much better the older we get, yes? So it's important to remember why Israel is important and why their story is important. He wants them to become the kinds of people that he can partner with to save the world. And he wants them to learn how to be those kinds of people. And of course, the same thing is true of you. That's why this is so important. So I'm going to read this whole 14th chapter. Um, this is the word of the Lord. What I say about it is not. So I want you to hear this story and let it soak in, all right? Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Piharoth. 
between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion. They're hemmed in by the desert. And then I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. Now when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go. We've lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. 600 of the best chariots along with other chariots of Egypt with officers over them all. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen, troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Haroth, opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified. They cried out to the Lord and said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us? bringing us out of Egypt. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Well, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to get a move on. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through, on, through the sea on the dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them. I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots, his horsemen, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of the Lord, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind. The pillar of the cloud also moved from front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud uh, brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. All that night, the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. The Israelites went through the sea on the dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. So the Egyptians pursued them. All Pharaoh's horses, chariots, horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and the cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let us get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea 
so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians in their chariots and their horsemen. And the, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place, and the Egyptians were fleeing toward it. And the Lord swept them into the sea. So the water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had been following the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore and the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians. The people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Where's Charlton Heston when you need him, huh? This is one of those moments, isn't it? You just kind of scratch your head at, at the magnificence of these kinds of things. And, and this is a, we could, we could be here for months because there's so much going on. And I've been assigned the task of looking at this for come leadership lessons. So I'm going to be skipping around a little bit for that purpose. But it's worth just sitting and soaking in, in, this, in this passage of Scripture. The first place that I want, I, I want you to notice is that God is able to bring glory to himself through things that are opposed to you. God is able to bring glory to himself through the things that are opposed to you. To those things, those people, those... Four. This is why God will later on say through uh, the Apostle Paul, look, don't, don't, don't be thinking that your enemies are primarily flesh and blood. Don't be putting a fingerprint on your enemies. There, there's, a, there's a spiritual component that you all need to be paying attention to. And if you flesh and blood your enemies, if you reduce them, you will not be able to join with me in the glory that comes through the final and, and defeat of them. So he, 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 he invites them into this uh, awareness and, and notice how he, 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 he follows hard after Pharaoh has his heart turned and God the language is hardens his heart. He just seals him. It's like, 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 like you either say to God, your will be done, or hear God say to you, your will be done. Pharaoh has chosen his own will, and God says, okay. He uses forces that are opposed to him for his glory. This is very challenging for us because we want all of it to be roses and, and primroses and all kinds of... No, God, God works. He does amazing things in the dirt and the dark to redeem and restore, especially when we feel most under attack, especially when we feel most afraid. This hardening is a sealing, a solidifying of the decisions taken, and God will be glorified, it says, through the army of Pharaoh in Egypt will learn who God is and who is God, and that's the ultimate goal. Remember, the witness of God's people is not simply in their deliverance, but through the story they tell of their deliverance. This is why your story matters so much. It's not simply because it happened to you, and isn't that interesting. It now becomes a, a, a vehicle, a way by which God might speak 
people in your life. So he invites them into this moment, and you know the story. They come out, and they are given direction, go to this particular place near Paharoth uh, between Megdal and the sea, and they go there, and sure enough, it says God says they camp there, and Pharaoh's heart turns to them and realizes the economic disadvantage of losing hundreds of thousands of unpaid workers. And, and, and does, the, does the math, does the calculus on the cost to the Egyptian economy of the loss of this major workforce. Please notice, this is his strategy. He has been face to face with Moses in spiritual warfare. That's what all of those plagues are about. Those are, are not just fascinating uh, ways. Each one of those plagues, Moses is taking on a god of Egypt and it's a, a MMA uh, kind of a cage fight. And, and God just systematically destroys all of the ways that they have managed their lives. He destroys all of the certainties, all of the, all of the way, and, 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 and finally ends with the Pharaoh's son who was himself a God. And here they are. And Pharaoh, in spite of all of this evidence, decides that his economic advantage is worth taking the risk. Jesus will use the language of mammon to describe folks who make that calculation, including less drastic than Pharaoh did, who are so driven by their grip on the dirt that they make harmfully spiritual, spiritual decisions make decisions that are harmful to their spiritual life. Anybody know, nobody in here like does, does that, but you know people. And so here we are, Pharaoh's economic interests overcome his common sense. And God says, fine, your will be done. Israel marching out boldly is turned when they discover that Pharaoh is after them. They look up and they're terrified. And listen to this sequence of language here in verse 11. They, they cried out to the Lord, but said to Moses, leadership lesson number one, you will become the point person for people's fear. You will become the point person for people's pain. Their anger, their frustration, their confusion was with God, but who are they going to go through? You become the lightning rod, and you know how lightning works. The, the visuals on lightning is that it comes from the clouds to the ground. The fact is, lightning actually goes from the ground to the clouds. You become that lightning rod. You become, and, 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 and you need to become the kind of person who can do, anybody feel the pain of folks in your, in your life? In the last, and they're after you. They, they, they're angry at God, but they're after you. You're, you're, the, you're the token believer. You're the token follower. Of, or maybe, maybe you're, 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 I don't know. Who do I, who do I, who do I complain to? Who do I go after? And, and so the, they're, they're crying out to the Lord, but saying to Moses, and notice the language they're using. What did you bring us out here for? To die? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? What in the world were you thinking? What were we thinking? 
How, how did we end up here? What's, it would be better to serve the Egyptians. Now, notice how short-term the memory of those who have been delivered from the darkness actually is. Anybody have a short-term memory like that? It happens to us regularly, doesn't it? Where, where sometimes the, the following of Jesus brings us into places where, where it would just be really easy to go back to what used to be, to manage my pain in the ways that I used to manage my pain. Uh, freedom is very costly. Liberty is extremely costly. And there are times when you're paying the price of freedom, which is responsibility and leaning into the pain, not running away from it. How many of you have discovered that pain run to gets smaller, but pain run from gets bigger? But you forget that. You forget that in the moment. We forget it. And here's, it, it would have, it, it, uh, and then later on it'll be decorated with memories of mom's chicken noodle soup in Egypt and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Uh. Oh man, oh man. Apparently it takes a lot less time to get Israel out of Egypt than it does to get Egypt out of Israel. And Moses is right, early days. And he feels the point of their pain. And in the role of the intercessor, in case you pointed us to 32, 33 in Exodus, we're gonna learn Moses as an intercessor because by the time we get to chapter 32, God's done with these people. I'm not going with you. You all go out there and wander in the desert on your own. Because if I go with you, I'm gonna kill y'all. I'm, I'm just, I've just had it. And Moses, now, now, please notice, the reason this story is told is to develop a character of Moses that has a resilience and a groundedness in who God is to know, I'm, I'm, you got to go through me to get to them, God. That's the pastoral role. That's the leader's role. That's the role of the buffer to stand there between... Does that make sense? And by the way, that's what our role is in this election year. People are going to be vibrating at fairly high frequency this year. Is that fair to say? Are you going to contribute to the vibration or are you going to be a buffer and tamp it down? Have you become a calm and non-anxious presence in the presence of volatility or do you pour kerosene on the fire? It's going to take, that's why I think this, this passage is so relevant to us. We need to become the kinds of people, here comes the Egyptians, let's panic, that's always helpful. Right? And let's go after a person, a point person, because that frees us up from responsibility ourselves. And Moses, of course, knows God well enough that he says, don't be afraid. Stand firm. You'll see the deliverance the Lord is bringing. He's speaking out of that holy hospitality at that burning bush moment. Remember, he was invited. Take your shoes off. This is holy ground. That's what you do at home. He is invited into an hospitable, contemplative 
relationship with God that allows him in this moment not to start running around like his hair's on fire like everybody else is. Just chill out. Calm down. Stand still and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. You need only be still. And here's where Moses needs to learn the next part of the lesson. Because when you have learned God in contemplation, that becomes the hammer for which every problem is a nail. Kumbaya, my Lord. Kumbaya. It's just kind of... And sometimes... Yes. But listen to the Lord's response. What are you doing? Why, why are, you, what are you standing around kumbayaing? We've got a whole army coming after us here. You all need to get a move on. So apparently there's, there's a, a balance between, between praying in stillness and marching in prayer. And the tension, because anybody, the contemplative side, we tend to veer to one side or the other. Let's just wait and see what happens. No, let's go do something immediately. We've got to do this. Anybody recognize? I don't know why I'm picking you people as the action people and you people as the contemplative people. But you know what? I'm, you, does that make sense? If I, and, 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 and God needs his people to learn in the times of chaos particularly, when the concern is to panic, having the deep, deep well that is dug in contemplation to be able to draw from it at the time when action is required. And to know what to do and when to do it and with what energy to do it. And that's a hard learn. That is a hard learn, but it's a necessary learn. There's a time to wait on the Lord and there's a time to act. And leadership requires full awareness. That Holy Spirit enabled discernment, anchored in humility. It's going to become a major theme throughout the life of Moses, anchored in humility. Because what happens? You've heard the phrase, battle plans evaporate when the first shot is fired. You can have it all sketched out on paper and entered into the computer with all of the logistics and tactical wisdom that you can create. But when the first shot is fired, all of that goes out the window and you have to respond to facts on the ground. You have to respond to what is actually happening. So how do you intend to become the kinds of people that God can trust in chaos as well as calm? Here's, here's the, just, just between us. Often, God is responsible for some of the chaos, or allowing at least the chaos, to train us into calm in the middle of chaos. If my contentment rests solely on non-distracted living, I'm not going to be content very long for very many occasions. I need to become grounded. I need to learn contentment when life is going crazy around me. Yes? 
So how do you intend to learn that? Except in the crucible of a moment like this. Except when all the wheels seem to be falling off. Except when things seem not to be working. And you know how the story is, 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 is leading out. So this is essential in, in times of chaos, is to not to lose the plot. This is going someplace, and this immediate moment can pull us out of the direction that God is leading us into, and we start to panic, we start to freak out. And, and Moses' response is fascinating. He knows, oh, 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 yeah, I've got a part to play in this, stretches out his staff. He, seemingly an irrelevant action. That's not a concrete outcome, stretch out the staff, but you know how that staff has been the sign of God's presence up to this point, and God's action. And here's, here's, here's the invitation. Again, God could have delivered Israel from Egypt all by himself, but he's training them to partner with him and this will happen numerous times over the course of the next 40, 50, 60 years up to now, where God is training us in partnering with him. And so here, just to, to kind of pull, pull this together here, this, this, this initial resurgence, the point, often we think, oh, 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 we need to get God to fight our enemies to partner with us to fight our enemies. And, and at some level, we could read this story that way. But please remember, not all of your enemies are actually God's enemies. The question is not, will God fight my enemies for me? The question is, how can I learn to partner with God to fight his enemies with him? those who are opposed, those forces that are opposed to his purposes. Remember, uh, 40 some odd years later, Joshua is going to have a vision of this mighty warrior with the sword that he recognizes quickly is the angel of the Lord. And he'll say, are you for us or against us? And the angel will reply, no. I'm the angel of the Lord. Are you for me or against me? Have you begun to recognize that your enemies are actually within the sphere of my love so that you can partner with me not in their defeat but in their redemption? You need to learn how to hold still in chaos. You need to learn how to be present between, and you train in contemplation for that. But then the invitation is, to act out of that. So that tension is an essential learning, knowing and acting and knowing when to act. And, and this is the difference, isn't it, between mature leadership and immature leadership. You have words, and I love the fact that space is created for you to bring images and pictures and words. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm really grateful for the resurgence in many ways, but that sometimes, even in private, in your own praying, some of you are, are, are learning the difference between, say, an immature prophet and a mature prophet. The difference? An immature prophet hears the word from the Lord and speaks it immediately. A mature prophet hears the word of the Lord and says, now what do you want me to do with this? Are you calling me to prayer? 
Are you inviting me to intercession? Do you want me just to carry it with you? Do you want me to speak it? And if so, when? Do you hear the difference? There is a, there is a, a learning into this, and Moses here models this for us, and that is formed in intimacy, it's formed in humility, it's formed in non-ego-driven leadership. Because if I want to be large and in charge, I want to have God's imprint on my life and, and ministry so that people follow me. Moses is not interested in that. And we need to learn how to lead from that grounded position. The beauty of being grounded is that you can't be beat down. And that's going to become important for Moses. It's going to become important for all of us. Our identity as le leaders, leading, serving people in the world is that we're servants of God. And we want to become God's people in fraught times, in evil times, Paul says. We're living in them now. How do we become the kinds of people who are humble servants of God and partners with him in what he's doing in the world? Which is what he desperately wants us to join him in. So the tension we live in is prayer of stillness and prayer of action. Let's pray. Oh Lord, as we sit with this uh, passage of scripture and um, become aware of how um, challenging it is for us to learn this because we tend naturally to one side or the other. And we need some help, not just learning the, the differences, but learning how to be in the differences. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you would teach us that that you, O oh Lord, would bring, be with us in the moments where we are still enough to see the bush that burns without being consumed, eyes trained to notice. But then also become aware of when it's time to move, when prayer as action is, 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 is built on prayer as contemplation and stillness. Uh, that's a hard learn for us, O oh Lord especially when we're afraid. So I pray that you would fill us with your presence. Give us the capacity to partner with you in your good work. In Jesus we pray. Amen.